DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life, including Spiritual Consolation, the book on which this series is based. The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. We now begin Conference Talk 1 with Father Timothy Gallagher. So, welcome to our discussion of St. Ignatius of Loyola's second set of rules. I'd like to invite us together as we begin with the full meaning that this word had for St. John Paul II to entrust to Mary what we do in these hours that we'll spend together over these days. And with a great confidence that placed in the love and tenderness of her mother's heart, what we do together will be fruitful for us and please God through us for others. So with all of that confidence and uh, enveloped in her mother's love, we'll begin to look now at St. Ignatius of Loyola's second set of rules. Now, because in order to understand the second set of rules, we really need to understand the first set of rules, which we've gone through in detail in another setting. I want to begin this by a quick review of the first set of rules so that then we will see what is new by contrast in the second set of rules. And let's do this through looking at some experiences. And uh, this first one you have on the handout, and this is uh, George, and this is from his journal. This is published in, uh, in a book. And George prays for half an hour every day, and today he describes what happens in his half hour of prayer. This morning in the chapel, prayer was difficult. In spite of so many and fervent appeals to Christ's love, there was no feeling in me of response from the beloved. So he's there with goodwill, but the prayer is dry and difficult. I then turned to our Blessed Lady and said something like this, Please ask your son to grant me the grace to love him more and more. This was said only a very few minutes before the end of the half hour, which had been arid. And this is now why I quote this experience. Suddenly. I felt a very sweet touch which warmed my whole being and stirred me to feelings of deep and moving gratitude to the beloved and to his mother. And with reverence as we approach what is holy ground in this man's prayer, we'll recognize in this experience this sweet touch which warms his heart, gives him this sense of being close to the Lord Jesus and to his mother and being loved. In that, we'll recognize what St. Ignatius calls spiritual consolation, as we've seen him describe it in the first set of rules. A second experience, and this is from a man named William Kernan in a book that he writes in 1953. And he is describing his process of conversion and entry into the Catholic Church. And at this particular point, he's a young man. He is riding the train, leaving his native California heading back east to begin university studies. And uh, the following, so obviously this is uh, an important time in his life. He's leaving home for the first time, the, the unknowns that await him. 
and the following happens as he goes through the California countryside. I looked out of the train window to the California countryside, which I was rapidly leaving behind me. The orange groves shimmering in the light of the late afternoon sun. The little bungalows which appeared here and there for a moment, and then were gone as the train sped on. And the mountains far out on the horizon. And again, now this is why I quote this. An upsurge of gratitude swept through me. Now, I'm going to be a little too analytical here. Certainly would never do this. Uh, in something like spiritual direction, but in a learning setting. What we have here is, firstly, a non-spiritual consolation, just a natural human consolation, uh, um, an appreciation of the beauties of the landscape of his native California. And then into this, God inserts the grace of a spiritual consolation. An upsurge of gratitude swept through me and warmed my heart. I thank God for his providence and goodness that had kept me all the days of my life, and which I was sure would keep me safe forever as he heads to the unknown in this new step of life. I could go on thinking of tomorrow in terms of today. Something would always be the same in every tomorrow. Something would be certain. God, which again reverently is a beautiful experience of spiritual consolation, which God gives this young man to strengthen him as he faces a new step in his life. And then let's look at one more experience, uh, which obviously, as you can see from the image, is going to be quite different. All right, so this is a married man, uh, 38 years old. I had had a serious knee surgery five months earlier, and things had been slowly getting better with my knee. Recently, however, it seemed worse. This day, I saw the doctor and returned discouraged by his report. If my knee did not improve, how would I ever do my work for the years to come? How would I meet the family's needs? In terms of discernment, what we're experiencing here, what he's experiencing here is a non-spiritual desolation. Of course, you know, physically there's a struggle. Uh, It's discouraging to see that it's not improving in the way that he'd hoped. There are worries about his work and his future. So there's just a natural non-spiritual vulnerability here and some discouragement. I had felt tired already on rising, but when I got back from the doctor's, I felt stripped of all energy. In the evening, I usually pray evening prayer. This day, I felt so tired and discouraged that I never said it. Now we'll recognize that the enemy has brought some, I don't want to exaggerate it, but there's a certain amount of spiritual desolation that the enemy has brought into the non-spiritual vulnerability. You can hear rule five in this. Normally, he prays evening prayer at this time, but in a time of spiritual desolation, he makes a change and lets the evening prayer go. This day I felt so tired and discouraged that I never said it. When I tried to pray at the end of the day, the same thing happened. I was tired, discouraged, and afraid, and it was hard to pray. So the heaviness, the desolation, is very much on the spiritual level now. And then what follows next, these are classical indications of spiritual desolation. Somehow God seemed very far away, and I felt alone. I wound up spending time on the smartphone that I really didn't want to spend. And there you see a touch of that movement toward low and earthly things. Probably the way he uses the smartphone in this uh, circumstance of discouragement, at least is likely to slide toward things that probably would be better to avoid. I slept poorly that night and rose with a sense that it would be hard to pray at all this day. Again, being a little too analytical, but just I want to break open the first set of rules. 
you can see rule eight in this. The enemy's uh, insinuation that this desolation is just going to go on and on. The entire day is going to be as discouraging and heavy as the, as the uh, moment of rising is. And you remember Ignatius' counsel. Remember, in that circumstance, the consolation is going to return a lot sooner than the enemy wants you to believe. The fear and the discouragement were still there. I asked the Lord to help me get through this and to help me live the day well, which is perfect. He's applying Rule 6, the prayer of petition, asking for help in time of desolation. As usual, I went to Mass before work. Again, perfect Rule 5. He does not make this change in time of desolation, but he's faithful to his morning commitment to daily Mass, which, as you can imagine, uh, is going to make a difference. Mass was helpful. The reading spoke to me. They told me of God's care for his people in distress. In you, the orphan finds compassion. I will love them freely from the first reading, Hosea 14. I relieved his shoulder from the burden, the psalm, and the great commandment to love God with all our heart. After Mass, overcoming some initial resistance, which is perfect, rejecting the desolation, I said the rosary on the way to work, and that too lifted my heart. All right, things are lifting here because he's doing exactly the things Ignatius counsels in the first set of rules in time of desolation. In the late morning, I had a meeting with a client who was grateful for the help I had given him. This was, that was an uplifting time, and afterward, I was grateful and thanked God for it. Non-spiritual consolation, something goes well in a business relationship, and into this God gently and lovingly inserts the, the grace of a spiritual consolation. Then he sums up, more than I like, I find that times like the day before, times of spiritual desolation, in such times I feel stripped of all my spiritual energy. I wish this just didn't keep happening, and who of us cannot resonate with that as we go through uh, our lives? So these are all experiences of the kind that Ignatius has in mind in the first set of rules and with which he wants to help us. This alternation of the good spirit's gift of spiritual consolation and the enemy's discouraging lies in time of spiritual desolation. So the first set of rules Ignatius gives us to help us exactly with experiences like this, to recognize and receive the grace and gift and the strength of the spiritual consolation the good spirit gives, and to recognize and resist and reject the discouraging lies of the spiritual desolation which the enemy gives. All right, rapidly, we're just going to run through the 14 rules without much elaboration here. Um, because we really need to know the first set of rules in order to understand the second set. I'm just going to back up there. One of the best things we can do, actually, to prepare to learn the second set well is to refresh or deepen our knowledge of the first set of rules. All right, in the title to the first set of rules, Ignatius tells us what discernment of spirits is, and it's the three steps that are familiar to us from that set of rules. Be aware. Just notice the spiritual experience going on in your heart and thoughts. Work with it until you understand what's of God and what is uh, of the enemy in that, and then take action accordingly accepting what is of God, rejecting what is of the enemy. In the first two rules, Ignatius lays the two foundational spiritual situations. In the first, the person heading away from God and living a life of serious sin. And we will look at how the good spirit and enemy will work in a person in that unhappy spiritual situation. And in the second rule, 
And really from the second rule through the 14th, through the remaining rules, Ignatius will look at the much happier spiritual situation of the person who, yes, the just man falls seven times a day. We, we need to ask God's forgiveness at the beginning of every Mass and the sacrament of confession and the rest. But the person who sincerely does not want sin and wants to love the Lord and to grow in God's love and service. And there Ignatius asks how the good spirit and enemy will work in a person in that spiritual situation. So in the first rule, Ignatius clarifies how the enemy works in one heading away from God. And essentially, the enemy will lead the person to imagine sensual delights that will confirm the person in that way of life. The good spirit does exactly the contrary. Now note this, because this will become important when, as we will very quickly, we move to the second set of rules. In the first set of rules, the good spirit and the enemy do exactly the contrary, the one of the other. If the good spirit does one thing, the enemy will do exactly the contrary, exactly the opposite. And this rules, this holds throughout all 14 rules in the first set. So the good spirit will do exactly the opposite. Now will sting and bite so that the discomfort, please God, will lead the person to desist from that way of life and begin to move toward God. Now Ignatius turns to the much happier situation of the person heading toward God. And if I may say this reverently, he's now speaking to all of us. Uh, You wouldn't be a part of this if this were not where your heart is. And in this case, now it's the enemy. Enemy's tactic is exactly the opposite of the first rule. Now the enemy tries to bite, gnaw, strip away the peace, sadden, obstacles, disquiet, uh, make it hard to go forward, and the good spirit does exactly the opposite, pouring in strength, energy, consolations, inspirations, uh, easing the way forward. In Rule 3, Ignatius describes the spiritual consolation of which we've spoken. Consolation as an uplifting movement of the heart, joy, peace, hope, and so forth, and on the spiritual level of our relationship with God. <clears throat> and then Ignatius in Rule 3 describes various experiences of this. And you can just see in the vocabulary the joy and the joyful, happy quality of this. Spiritual desolation is exactly the opposite. Heavy movements of the heart on the spiritual level. So discouragement, hopelessness, sadness, anxiety, and so forth. Uh, desolation on the spiritual level. And Ignatius describes the various experiences of spiritual desolation, which is the key tactic of the enemy that Ignatius has in mind in the first set of rules and with which he wants to help us. So in the title and the first four rules, Ignatius establishes the basics of discernment, and in the remaining 10 rules, focuses on their concrete application in practice. So he gives tools in order to recognize these two basic movements and how to respond to them. And his essential focus in the first set of rules is to help us reject spiritual desolation. He does have something to say about accepting spiritual consolation, but there are fewer issues with this in the uh, first set of rules. We, we don't want to get complacent. We don't want to think desolation will never return again and so forth. But the real obstacle in the experience Ignatius has in mind in the first set of rules is spiritual desolation and its associated temptations. And so Ignatius focuses here, giving us tools to reject it. His famous rule five, in time of desolation, never make a change to anything you'd plan to do in your spiritual life before the desolation began. It's a companion rule, rule six, we don't change our proposals, but we change ourselves. 
against the desolation with prayer petition, calling to mind scriptures, uh, truths of faith that sustain us, asking how did this begin, what's going on, and then instead of fleeing into some kind of gratification, which only uh, really makes things harder, suitable gestures of penitential courage. In Rule 7, Ignatius, when the desolation is telling us you're too weak, you're going to give in, you can't do this, Ignatius invites us to consider that we can resist because God is always giving us all the grace we need. In Rule 8, when the desolation is telling us this is going to go on and on and on, let him think that he will soon be consoled. What a wonderful, um, hope-filled thought, and it's true. Rule 9, Ignatius asks, why does a God who loves us permit us to go through spiritual desolation and looks at three reasons um, and the fruit that will come in each case if we resist the desolation? In Rule 10, Ignatius invites us in a time of consolation before desolation even begins to prepare for the desolation, take in strength for ensuing desolation, which will make it a lot easier to get through. We'll return to the Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, What you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. In Rule 11, Ignatius pulls it all together and paints the portrait of the mature person of discernment in this set of rules. The person who is humble in consolation and trusting in desolation, and that's how we go forward solidly. And then uh, in the last three rules, Ignatius shifts slightly to the other, what I call garden variety tactic of the enemy. There's nothing dramatic about these two tactics. We all experience them, but precisely because these are the garden variety sort of daily ongoing ways in which the enemy attempts to uh, discourage us, it is very important to understand them and to know how to respond to them. And so in the last three rules, Ignatius gives us help to resist the enemy's temptations. Stand firm right in the very beginning of the temptation. It's when it's easiest to resist it. Snowball is just getting started at the peak of a mountain. You can stop it with a finger. Let it get halfway down the mountainside, gaining mass and speed. It'll run you over. Stand firm in the beginning. Resist the the temptation right in its very beginning, and that's the easiest time. Rule 13 is another one that I love. Ignatius' invitation to break the spiritual silence. And he uses the image of the false lover trying to seduce an upright woman, and his whole insinuation to her is you can't say anything about this. When the enemy brings his burdens, his discouraging lies, don't be alone with it. Find a wise and competent spiritual person and speak about it. Break the spiritual silence. And then finally, in the last rule, Ignatius invites us to identify and then strengthen that point where we are most vulnerable to the enemy's desolations and temptations, like the enemy looking for the weakest point in the defenses of the castle, and he attacks right there. Fortify that even before the attack comes. I love Rule 14 because it is a rule that brings hope where we often feel least hopeful. And this is where it all leads. Uh, This wonderful freedom from the enemy's discouraging lies of temptation, which I love and which I've seen now in so many people's years, uh, lives over the years, as I've shared these 14 rules. Through them, Christ sets captives free. So, in the first set of rules, Ignatius' goal is to help us resist the discouraging lies of spiritual desolation and its associated temptations. And I think it's fair to say that in our entire Catholic spiritual tradition, there really is no parallel um, set of practical guidelines or rules uh, equally practical and uh, usable in our lives. It's a wonderful gift that he gives us. I'd invite you now to take the handout with the text of the second set of rules. And uh, just, just, you know, to look at it, and you see that in this set of rules, we have uh, a brief title statement, and then we have eight rules. And that's what we're going to be going through um, from now forward. But before we begin looking at uh, the text uh, of the text itself, I just want to raise some questions to which we're going to need answers. Why is there a second set of rules and not just one longer set of rules? Uh, Ignatius certainly has no trouble creating a set of rules longer than 14. For example, his rules for thinking with the church, there are 18 rules. Why didn't Ignatius just write one longer set of rules instead of uh, a first and then a second set of rules? Pretty fundamental question. When does this second set of rules apply? Another pretty fundamental question. 
do the same two sets of rules have in mind different spiritual situations? Or can they be used simultaneously? Another pretty fundamental thing we need clarity about. Does the second set of rules apply to everyone? I think we all have a sense that the first set of rules, we would say yes. All of us have experienced the ups and downs of spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Is this equally true of the second set of rules? Does it apply to all or only to some? And if it only does apply uh, to some, if it doesn't apply to all, then to whom does it apply? And in what spiritual situation does it apply? If the two sets of rules have in mind different spiritual situations, in what exactly does the difference consist? Which is to ask, when specifically does the second set of rules apply? Now, obviously, if we're going to use these rules well, we need answers to all of these questions. So that's our journey as we go forward. All right, I'm going to introduce the second set of rules in the same way that I introduced the first And that is by looking at some experiences in Ignatius' own spiritual life. You may remember that we introduced the first set of rules by looking at this experience of conversion on his convalescent bed at age 30 after the surgeries on his leg as he reads the the lives of the saints and the life of Christ and is uh, torn between the worldly project and the project of living like the saints. And then there is this beautiful moment of grace when his eyes are opened a little And for the first time, he really perceives and understands that this kind of spiritual experience is going on in his heart and in his thoughts, and that by being attentive to it, he can begin to discern where God is leading. All right, we are now a year later in Ignatius' story. He has moved to Manresa, this small Spanish city near Barcelona, where he spends about a year Uh, living with the poor and serving them, going to Mass each day in one of the churches and spending hours in a cave, praying, living the penitential life. And this is a time in which Ignatius grows enormously in the spiritual life. He is no longer at all the beginner that we saw him on his convalescent bed after those years far from God. But he has progressed enormously. This is the time when he writes the uh, essential part of his spiritual exercises. There are mystical experiences of great profundity and beauty. And he is living a life of great dedication to God. And in these months, the following happens. If you'll take the handout. And you'll find this on page two of the handout. So Ignatius uh, tells us in his autobiography, Besides his seven hours of prayer, which is a lot, obviously, each day, he busied himself with certain souls who came looking for him to discuss their spiritual interests. People pretty quickly begin to come to this man as they begin to realize there's a special holiness there. All the rest of the day, he spent thinking of divine things, those especially which he had either read or meditated that day. So the entire day is dedicated very profoundly to God and the things of God. But when he went to bed, he received great illuminations and spiritual consolations. So uh, when it comes time to retire, he is flooded with, with light on spiritual things and rich and profound spiritual consolations, which made him lose much of the time he had set aside for sleep, and that was not much. He looked into this matter a number of times and gave it some thought. This is pure Ignatius. Uh, obviously, he's very aware of what's going on in this spiritual experience, and he reflects on it. 
trying to understand its spiritual significance. Having set aside so much time for dealing with God, and besides that, even all the rest of the day, he began to doubt. So something new now is happening here. He began to doubt whether these illuminations came from the good spirit. Are these spiritual constellations and these wonderful lights on the spiritual life, are they really from the good spirit? He concluded that he had better not have anything to do with them and give the time determined on to sleep, and this he did. So, Ignatius looks at these uh, experiences of, uh, of these wonderful thoughts and spiritual consolations, and you'll notice that in his account, Ignatius never questions the genuine goodness and holiness of these spiritual consolations and these thoughts. He doesn't... Um, there's never any question in his mind that these are genuine, genuinely holy thoughts and genuine spiritual consolations and of great profundity as well. His discernment is based on something external to the spiritual consolations and the thoughts, and that is to their consequences, their objective consequences. If I open myself to these spiritual consolations and these thoughts, the already limited amount of time that I have for sleep is largely going to uh, well, be diminished to a point where um, probably fairly quickly my health is going to suffer and this whole spiritual life is going to be undermined. And because he can see that this will be the consequence of opening himself to these spiritual consolations and thoughts, Ignatius de determines that these are not of the good spirit, that they should be rejected, and in point of fact, he does reject them. Actually, almost the entire set of second, the second set of rules is present here in embryo, as we'll be seeing as we go forward. All right, two more years pass. Ignatius makes the trip to the Holy Land, uh, returns back to Spain, understands that God is calling him to pursue priesthood. And so he stays on in Barcelona and he begins his studies toward priesthood. And this has to begin with the study of Latin, which is what the artist is depicting here. Pretty humbling thing, this man in his uh, 30s uh, sitting in a classroom together with these young boys trying to learn the declensions and conjugations and the rest of Latin. And a lot of memorization is involved in this, and the following takes place. Returning to Barcelona, he began his studies with great diligence, but there was one thing that stood very much in his way. And that is that when he began to learn by heart, as has to be done in the beginning of grammar, that is uh, Latin, he received new light on spiritual things and new delights. Again, uh, wonderful insights into the spiritual life and warm and rich spiritual consolation. So strong were these delights that he could memorize nothing, nor could he get rid of them however much he tried. Now look at Ignatius, all right? I'm very aware of this experience. And he's going to reflect on it now to try to understand it. Thinking this over at various times, he said to himself, even when I go to prayer or attend Mass, these lights do not come to me so vividly. Thus, step by step, he came to recognize that it was a temptation, which is striking. These are spiritual consolations, rich, warm, abundant, and good and holy thoughts. And Ignatius recognizes that this is not of the good spirit. And in fact, this is a temptation. Now notice, as with the earlier experience, Ignatius never doubts the genuine nature of these good and holy thoughts and the genuine quality of these spiritual consolations. 
is discernment does not come from looking at them intrinsically, if I can say that. But his discernment is based on something external to the thoughts and to the consolations, and that is, again, their objective consequences. If I open myself to these good and holy thoughts and these spiritual consolations, when I need to be studying and doing the memorization required by Latin so that I can go forward toward the priesthood to which I understand God is calling me, if I allow them to continue, my studies will be interrupted and blocked and Well, a lot hangs on it, obviously, doesn't it? Uh, Whether, in fact, he'll be able to go forward with studies toward priesthood uh, or not. So because of the objective consequences of these spiritual consolations and thoughts, Ignatius understands that they're a temptation. They're not of the good spirit, and they should be rejected, which in point of fact, he does. Now, I quote these two experiences, and we could give others, because you can see Ignatius beginning to realize that there's something else going on in discernment here which is not treated in the first set of rules. There's a new kind of experience here, which he needs to understand. And thank God he did, for his own sake, certainly, but for the rest of us. Father Gallagher will conclude the teachings in Conference One in our next episode. You've been listening to The Second Week Rule for the Greater Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download the podcast version of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. To view Father Gallagher's video presentation of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for the second week rule for the greater discernment of spirits, an Ignatian guide to a greater discernment of spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher.